Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Hone Sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Inco Kellys, and welcome to Phantology's full spoiler review of The Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. So if you saw our previous episode where we talked non-spoiler, you'll know that Josh and Ryan were both pretty high on the book, and I was like questionably low. I think people are kind of like, what's going on? Because this book was fantastic, and although I did really enjoy the book and I had a hard time putting it down... At the same time, I do think there were some issues with it, so we're going to talk about that. We're doing full spoiler again, so if you haven't read it yet, now would be the time to do so, and we're going to be talking through all of the characters, plot elements, anything is on the table, so go ahead and throw out whatever you guys want to talk about. Before we do so, if you like Phantology, you can find our full catalog at www.phantologybooks.com. We've covered stuff from Harry Potter to Joe Abercrombie to... Wheel of Time and Robert Jordan's Stormlight Archive, which you need to do more of. Most things that you like by this time, Pathology has covered them. So we'd love to have you listen more. And if you'd like to support the channel, you can do that at patreon.com slash Pathology underscore books. So to get the spoiler conversation started, we're going to talk about Tao. I think it all kind of starts with him. He's obviously our POV character that drives most of the action along. and my hot take to start off the episode is that Tao is literally the antagonist of this entire story, and he drove me insane the whole time because, like, dude, let it go already. Like, stop letting this search for this this thirst for vengeance drive everything in your life, and maybe like re-examine some life choices you are making. And I could not connect with this insatiable lust for vengeance and blood and it, i don't know like you guys were okay with it apparently though I, what what was going on here's what i think how could you give this book a 7.5 if you can't stand the main protagonist of the book because even though i couldn't stand him somehow i was still rooting for him it was almost <laughs> it was similar i mean i'm not gonna be spoiled it's similar to like a logan nine fingers type of thing in first law i still wanted the dude to do well but maybe it was just because i was seeing things through his eyes but he just frustrated me to no end i don't know he he's kind of like an underdog and he's an underdog that doesn't give up and he has this tenacity about him that he just keeps going at a problem and i mean sometimes it might be like a little bit much where you're like no matter how skilled you are like if somebody is equally skilled and two times your size you're gonna have an incredible uh, incredibly hard time overcoming them so there were some times where i was like uh i don't i mean this this is like maybe not quite believable to me but i mean i didn't really get bothered by his like thirst for vengeance 
Well, so there, there's two different issues there. I mean, one that you're bringing up is what we'd call being a Mary Sue, which is where he can just defeat anyone and is unstoppable and wins every fight against larger foes. And but he doesn't win every fight. He doesn't win every fight. You're right. You're right. But he does level up really quickly. And there's reasons for that in the book. And I was I struggled with that in the beginning of the book. And then when he went into Yeah, and then when he went into Isihogo, and then that was like his training ground. That that made sense. I think that could have been done maybe like even a little bit stronger. But I mean, can we just talk about how this dude could not let it go against Kellen Okar? And the Ingunyama dude who was the bodyguard, like, especially Kellen, he had plenty of reason to maybe like reexamine this a little bit. Like, uh, Jayad was telling him and Zuri was telling him and he just, it frustrated me that he wasn't able to step back a little bit and think of, yeah, maybe Kellen was just acting on orders and maybe he was making, you know, the best choice for himself. And like, he didn't actually kill my father and he seems like like a stand-up dude and we're all on the same side there's so many reasons why he could have let this go a little bit and i didn't like that he wasn't able to re-examine that i mean that could be a major character flaw for him that he's he's so blinded by his vengeance that he's pursuing his goals at any cost without really reevaluating those goals because if he reevaluates those they change his whole his whole worldview and he loses that drive which is kind of making him into this unbelievable warrior i want to hear what yeah, josh yeah i agree with you ryan i think that it was kind of refreshing to have a character that was so driven by one purpose and you get this feeling at the beginning of the book that tao doesn't really have a big purpose He's training so that he can bring honor to his family or something, but he's not really That's committed fair. to it because he's contemplating, you know, busting his knees or something or breaking his legs so they can stay with Zuri. And he's just kind of like blowing in the wind. And that that really bugged me about the character for the first for the first few chapters of the book. But then we get this guy that's just set on a path and you get the feeling that he's unstoppable and gonna do whatever it takes to to reach it. And that was compelling to me even if yeah it was sometime sometimes you could say yeah he's a little bit obnoxious it was still a really compelling story it's similar to best serve cold by joe abercrombie a bit another vengeance yeah. tale where the characters set on a path of destruction they got a list of people we're going to kill i'm not going to say spoilers for that book but it was similar in the sense that i maintain that i think the main characters were literally the antagonists of the story and I didn't necessarily like that. I just felt like maybe we should have re-examined things a little bit. And I didn't find it super believable. And yes, it's a character flaw, but I don't know. It's maybe I, maybe I personally could not relate to this. Well, this is this is reminds me a lot of Arya Stark in Game of Thrones, where if, if yeah, you, I have her down yeah, as well. Where if you take this away from the character, then there's no story left. If you take this motivation out, at least for three quarters of the book you could make an argument that the ending starts to change things a little bit however Arya stark is a child and so i think it makes more Tal, sense Tal is, i mean he's how old is no he? he's 12, not 13? he gets older no i mean i don't know he's I, I, read, I read him as being like at the start of the book i like can't kind of 13 14 and then 15 16 by the end 
Is that totally off base? Yeah, I would imagine him to be in his mid to maybe late teens. I would say late teens. It it probably is. There probably is an age. We'll have to fact check ourselves. Yeah, so Arya Stark makes sense to me because she's younger. And I guess we don't want to say spoilers, but there are solid reasons there. And Monza and Bester of Cold makes sense to me because... Uh, I don't want to say spoilers there either, but we don't we don't necessarily ah it's hard to talk around the spoilers. We don't necessarily like her, and I don't think we're supposed to. But Tao, we're supposed to like. I don't know. I I never really got the fact that you're supposed to really relate to him. He's not like a Harry Potter type character where you can just kind of put yourself on him and like that's fine. Yeah, you know, he's definitely a character that is meant to be very, you know, driven by one singular thing, and most people aren't like that really. But we're meant to cheer for him, right? I liked him. All right. I cheer for him. I think we can just agree that Steven's wrong here. Move on. It's interesting because I still, even though I had this huge issue with him, I was still cheering for him. Like at the end, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I want him to I want him to win these fights and I want him to advance in the Queen's Melee. And I don't I didn't want him to kill Kellen. I'm glad that he didn't. If he did, that would have really messed things up for me. So I'm glad that didn't happen. But yeah. I wanted him to be successful and like continue to win his fights and, and grow in his fame. I guess it's frustrating me because I wanted him to take further steps that he wasn't willing to. And I don't think he will ever. Maybe. Well, like, yeah. you know, that scene where I think this was in the Queen's Melee or in one of the rounds where like all of these lessers were cheering for him and he was about to go into the tent and they were chanting something. And Hadith was like, you got to go out there and like give him the, you know, the, the some words or something. And, and Tao was like, yeah, forget that. I just got to kill Kellen. I don't care about any of this other stuff. That was so frustrating to me. I was like, no, come on, man. Like open your eyes. There's a larger thing at play here. But once again, he's blinded by his one singular goal. He kind of fails to see everything else. He, I mean, he gives up the person that he loves for this. He's not necessarily making the most reasonable, logical choices. So I, I think what you're doing, Stephen, is you're trying to approach this from a logical standpoint. And Tao, I think, is an illogical character. Yeah, imagine if, yeah. imagine if it, okay, regardless of age, he's in his formative years. So if while you're in your formative years, you have your your father ripped away from you, you have your who the girl you hope to marry so i guess he is a bit older maybe like 15 16 at the start and then like 17 yeah yeah okay so girl you hope to marry ripped away kind of by the same people or the same system at least and then you have nothing and then you commit like at the beginning commit a murder which you didn't really go in expecting to commit but you did and then so that just like further cements this like radical yeah you know like for, further radicalizes you to now you're on this path and you're gonna go complete it you know, I think it was really well done for what he was doing. I guess it's just frustrating to me that I never saw any steps taken forward, despite, um, you know, Jaya telling him like, hey, there's a way here. Like, you don't always have to fight and kill. There is peace that could be secured. And at the end, even after fighting with Kellen and everything, the last thing he says is, I'm going to go kill Abbasio Dili. And it's like, well, has he made any progression? Really, I mean, there's there's more there's a more solid reason to kill Odili at the end because now he's orchestrated this whole rebellion. So maybe that makes sense. You know what? This at, at least he's moved past killing Kellen. Maybe he's okay with Kellen. Now. Yeah, 
You know what this kind of reminds me of is Braveheart. If you've ever seen for listeners that have seen that movie. And I think that I hope he starts to move, be, become more of a leader and transform this into, you know, leading a rebellion that's going to somehow change the system. And we'll see how that progresses in the series. But I think that a lot of that groundwork is laid in this book, moving, you know, just kind of off him as a character. Makes you realize that how similar Braveheart and Red Rising are. Both of these people from oppressed oppressed um, people who have their wives killed and then go on a quest for vengeance and become a unwitting leader. Yeah, sorry, you- that was a spoiler for Red Rising, but it happens in the first fifty pages of the book. Stuff in the 50, first fifty pages. That's okay. All right. So, and what else on Tao? I mean. I guess we'll just we'll conclude by saying we have different opinions. I he was frustrating to me all the way through. Maybe just because I struggled to relate to him, that's okay. You don't have to relate to everyone. I just wish he took I just wish he took more steps forward than he actually did, but we've got three more books for that to happen. So hopefully we we see that. Yeah. I think I'll be able to read the second book before for November 17th. Yeah, you're you're our uh, you're our champion speed reader. All right, one other thing on Tao. I mean, let's talk about his whole leveling up fight sequence that happens towards the middle of the book. This whole montage. This was kind of cool, right? This whole plot device of let's make Tao stronger. How we're we gonna do that? Okay, we'll just have him fight endlessly in Isihogo, right? And I think this has been compared to that uh, Tom Cruise movie. Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, left eye repeat. Right? That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, there's probably some other comparisons you could make. But what do you guys think of the way that Tao was leveled up here? I mean, it's still... I still kind of struggled to see him defeating, easily defeating some of these nobles who were physically larger and had years of experience. Like It still seemed a little Mary Sue-ish to me. But I do think it was a cool way of making it somewhat believable. Yeah, and it's also... It's also going to provide, I think, a lot more complications later on. So I think I think it's a unique way of him channeling, like figuring out how he can go into this underworld on his own. I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, I guess there is kind of the live, die, repeat. So I, I thought that was kind of a cool way that, that he was training. That's obviously going to come back to bite him in the future as he's as he's like seeing demons out of the corners of his eyes and losing his sanity a little bit. That's the price that he's paying to pursue his goal. Yeah. I think I was a little surprised that that, that didn't actually come up in this book. I thought perhaps he may accidentally kill someone who appears in the guise of a demon because of how crazy he was going, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Probably will. Yeah. So I, I think it was a cool way for him to level up. But kind of on the same subject, I wish that they did a little bit more with the underworld place. I, it mm-hmm. seemed like it was a cool plot device, but it hasn't become a really cool setting yet. You know, it was cool that they that they use it in war to like stun opponents and they use it to control the dragons and they use it as kind of a key to like the magic. So it's a cool plot device, but I kind of want it to become like the dream world and wheel of time where it's actually important to the story and like story elements take place in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, they didn't really explore Teleron Riyadh until however many books. Right, in. but it wasn't as essential to the plot in the first few books as this is. It would be like this is kind of like combining, and we're sticking in the wheel of time analogy. This is like combining weaving and the dream world into one, and still not exploring it as much as I would like. But it is still the first book. I, I think we expect to explore Isahogo, Is- Isahogo a lot more in future books. I mean, I eventually I'm sure they're going to come up with some way to combine or like we're going to use the demons or we're going to explore and we're going to find stuff in here. Uh, th- they must be confronting the Loki type god. I can't remember that guy's name. Um, at some point, Ukafa, U- Ukufa. But yeah, we've got books to do that. So I'm okay with it. But I do agree, Josh, like I would be very disappointed if we don't get more of that eventually. I also think it would have been cool if rather than just saying, okay, Tao is going into Isihogo and he's fighting and he's leveling up, he's getting stronger. Like, that's fine. Okay, I, I, I buy it. He's a better fighter now. But it would have been cool if he like learned something unique in his fights with the demons that he was unable to apply rather than just like a generic power up and always. Like the main unique thing about him was he fights with two swords after this one sparring that he had with the with the member of his scale that got killed later on. So he's like two swords. Okay, that's unique. But maybe he could have been like demon fighter. Yeah, that's true. And he like didn't like his shield. He never felt comfortable using a shield. So that was foreshadowing to yeah. using his two swords. I think it's awesome whenever a person uses two swords. Reminds me of Driss Duarden and Artemis and Cherry from from uh, the Driss books. There's a there's a group on Discord that wants to read through all of those books next year at the Salvatore books, Ryan. You'll have to join them. Okay. So we'll one see. thing I do think that was cool about the two swords is it really does show how I feel like Tao was willing to sacrifice himself for like getting this revenge. I feel like the two swords symbolized that really well. Like he was leaving himself open to not having a shield, not having that extra layer of protection and just going all in on like, no, I'm just going to cut through whoever stands in front of me. Mm -hmm. So where do you guys see Tao going? He's now the queen's champion, still fixated on the vengeance. Zuri's Zuri's gone, probably dead, maybe not dead. We'll talk about that more. But where's Tao going from here? Well, I think that Zuri is kind of a casualty, one of the casualties of Tao's uh, singular pursuit of vengeance. So I think in coming books, he doesn't necessarily see it now, but he's going to start realizing slowly the cost of his goal and questioning whether that goal is actually worth it. So I don't know if he's going to kill uh, the, what's his name? Odili. Odili. I don't know if he's going to kill him in this book. Maybe. I mean, something's got to cause him to question his goal and to realize that there are going to be things outside of it that are worth, that are much more worth it. And, and obviously kind of, the Hedeni are all geared up to kill them now. And there's also this other looming conflict of like, Hey, we maybe need to deal with this, like the coal and this underworld thing that's going on here. Like there are much larger things that we've got to take care of. Yeah. And, and I think that this is Tao. I mean, it's, it's so far it's been a coming of age and something needs to change. His worldview was changed radically in the beginning of the books and it's going to be changed radically in the 
upcoming books. So I, I think the obvious way of that is for him to realize that vengeance is kind of a soulless pursuit and he's going to lose everything else for it. If he can do that, then I will reevaluate my opinion because I, that's what I want him to do. That's all I'm asking for. Do you demand all the changes to happen in one book? Ah, that's probably unfair of me, right? But uh, I just struggled with it through the course of this book. So real, right. real quick, we kind of touched on the Zuri death. What did you guys think of that? I, I will come out and say that I do not think she's dead at all. Because there's no body. Because there's no body. First and foremost. Second of all. Uh-huh. Always, always a huge indicator. Yeah. I mean, she was just mag- magically burnt to a crisp. But I think that like maybe when you're shot with a direct, you know, blaze of dragon fire that it might send you to the underworld. You know, that's kind of my like working theory about how she survived it. Well, or or she was already like she had escaped or, into the into Isihogo somehow. Yeah, like or, she, yeah. yeah, she she had found it. There was a lot of magical stuff happening she, she at the time. Found, it, it's, it's possible. It was kind of implied that she had abilities that no one else had. Right. So maybe she had found a way to like bring herself like all the way physically, her body, like everything there. And so she just like appeared, took herself. But then she could also shroud herself. Maybe she couldn't shroud herself. So maybe she, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't think she's done yet. You know, I I don't think I'm well versed enough to know how that happened, but I think she's dead and I'm fine with it. I mean, I kind of liked her rough, but I wasn't, I wasn't like, super excited about her as a character i guess the reason why i say i'm fine with it is because i think that this is her death is going to be a catalyst for change for tau himself so i think that i mean there's always got to be something big which which causes people to change their worldview some big life event i think this is it and i think that would cheapen it if she she comes back alive there's not really any consequences not that we haven't really seen that happen before in other books. I think there's lots of times where people come back from the dead and it might cheapen the consequences. But um, the other reason why I think that she's dead is it feels like they might be setting up Tao for a romance with the queen. Right. Yeah, that's that's and not too subtly apl- uh, implied. It might be a little bit complicated if Zuri comes back. We could have a huge... What would that be like a a love uh, a love square Probably. there between? Well, I, come on, Kellen's Kellen's involved in this as well because he's way into the queen. Oh yeah, the, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, to Sora, and she appears to be pretty intrigued by Tao. You know, our uh, our strong, silent, brooding fantasy protagonist, as always. Yeah. Uh, and then Zuri comes back in right at the wrong time. I mean, look, if this was a romance novel, that's what would happen. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a love triangle with Kellen the Queen, Tao, and then Zuri's going to come back in, and it's going to it's going to be crazy. I, I is that I our, that's that's our phantology guarantee. guarantee. Yeah, could also throw that ran, like Themba. I think was his name. That random dude from the scale who is way obsessed with the Queen as well. He could be in there. Get some some good comedic relief. That's one thing that I thought was missing. I wish it was a little funnier. I thought that the characters were set up to be funnier, especially Udok. Uh, I, I thought there were more times where he, he could have stepped forward and brought some comedy. Never really got there for me. That's one thing I wish was stronger. 
I, I mean, yeah, I, I felt like they were joking a lot, but the joking was kind of part of their culture. And so it, the, the humor didn't necessarily translate well to to our normal sense of humor. But yeah, I, I don't think it was it was like super funny. But sometimes humor can cheapen the the mood a little bit. You mean like in uh, Dresden Files, wasn't it when he's off killing vampires and zombies, and all of a sudden he's just you know cracking jokes in the midst of all of it? Yeah, it, it well, it definitely decreases the gravity of this situation. I think a little bit, yeah. With Zuri, I was split on it. I think I was okay with her dying. I think I saw two paths for that whole thing to go. One would be where she becomes the enrager for Kellen and Tao continues to hate Kellen, but then Zuri's on Kellen's side and Zuri's kind of split between them because they both have, you know, a little bit of a righteous cause here. And so that would have been a nice conflict. Her dying was also, I mean, it was also foreshadowed quite a bit where you knew that she was going to take on the dragon on her own. Either way was okay with me. I think maybe I would have liked the whole uh, go with Kellen, set up that kind of political conflict a bit more because that would have brought a little more attention to the romance. And I always kind of like the romance dramas. <laughs> so, okay, here's here's the thing kind of moving off the subject. How well did how well were character relationships written in this book? Do you guys think some were good? Some were pretty meh. I've got to say, even though I like Tao, I I don't think, I mean, I didn't really find that much exceptional about the book. I just, like, I don't know. I guess the whole book together to me was exceptional. But when I, like, nitpick and look at individual things like characters and character relations, relationships and writing style, things weren't, like, amazing for me. Yeah. So so I think that, I, I think I agree with you, Ryan. I think that the story was amazing. Like being in this new setting with these new uh, kind of tropes, and I really did. I was compelled by the vengeance arc, and I think that the relationship with Zuri was done pretty well. But I just like don't. He doesn't really have any friends besides a few members of his squad who still see him as like kind of the crazy guy that you just don't want to mess with, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I really hope that there's a little bit more like fine tuning of character work where you can really see characters interact a lot more and have like better relationships in the coming books. Like when, when after they win anything, they always go, you know, back to the town to go to the bar and get their drinks. And they're like, uh, Tao, you joining us? Are you going to go off and do your crazy stuff? And they're like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like that guy's doing drugs. Yeah. It's like that guy is, he's, he's demon possessed right i mean uduak uh lets us know what everyone thinks of him yeah i think i think you kind of hit that right on the head josh about the characters and the relationships i like his relationship with zuri i think that if you like really kind of read into zuri she becomes a stronger character surface level on the page it's like not that much about her but then you think like okay she's you know in the in the gifted citadel and she's learning all this stuff and and it is hinted that she's got something else going on. She's able to explain the magic quite a bit. She's really smart. And she goes against the whole caste system where she's gifted caste and should be pretty much above everyone. But at the same time, she still loves Tao and defies all of those things. So I think there is a lot about her. But on the page, it's like, eh, it doesn't, she doesn't really pop. 
But if you think about her more, she's pretty good. So I think there's a lot of potential there, but uh, maybe it's not written quite as strong as it could be. I mean, this is a debut novel, like we said. I don't, I don't know that he's Evan Winters talked about how much he's written before this book. A lot of authors write books before they write the book that's published. And so I think that when you compare Sanderson's Elantris to the books that he currently writes. Oh, yeah. It's it's there's so much improvement. I don't want to I don't want to talk bad about Elantris a lot. And so that's why I don't really nitpick as much for this book. I guess it's good for other people looking in to to realize because that might bother them. But my hope for uh, Winter is that he's going to continue to improve. And so we'll we'll just see the things that he might be weak at just becoming significantly better as time goes on. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, we're trying to give this a fair review. But at the same time, yeah, let's recognize that first time author. I mean, Sanderson famously wrote like 10 or 11 books while working at a hotel all night long and having nothing to do. And he finally published Elantris and it's been years along. And like, it's not like Brandon Sanderson is the pinnacle of everything that is fantasy, right? Like there are issues with with what he's writing as well. Like no one's perfect. So Steven, he is my pinnacle of fantasy. All right. All right. (laughs) Brandon Sanderson, 10 out of 10 for Ryan. I guess we'll just leave that there. I, I would say 10 out of 10. All right. Let's talk about, so we want to talk about a few more characters. We don't want to go too long. Um, I did want to talk about Jabari because Jabari is a huge character for Tao in his early life. And I think this friendship is set up really well. And then he just disappears until the very last couple chapters. And he's like totally not even a character anymore. And And I loved him at the beginning. I thought he was great. Like, okay, he's this noble dude, but he also is friends with Tao. And he's gonna, you know, maybe be this bridge between them. And he has a really tough decision to make after Tao loses it, after Arn is killed, decides to exile him. All things considered, like maybe not the worst decision. And so I was thinking Jabari is going to come back eventually. We know he'll come back eventually. And I thought that there would be some kind of connection between the two of them. But man, we get nothing. We get less than nothing because Jabari is like burned and almost killed by the end. I thought, yeah, I thought Jabari was going to like put himself in between Tao and Kellen and say something like, you know, Kellen's a good person. And I thought that Tao might have to choose between killing or maiming his childhood friend and right. his vengeance. So I, I agree that his Jabari's character arc has been maybe not up to par in my opinion. It, it's been a little bit disappointing. Honestly, I had to go back and make sure that it was the same person from the beginning of the book. Like, right? like I, I flipped weird? back to the beginning and was like, yeah, that's that's it. Because it was just so, yeah, it wasn't done very well. Yeah, His best friend from his whole life, he's back now. It's like, all right, hey, man, uh, let's go kill these dudes. But otherwise, like, how's it going? You know, n- nothing. But honestly, maybe that's what it would be like if you're in a war. You're just like, hey, hey uh, yeah, let's go kill them now, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, but come on. There were enough, like solitary moment when you're writing something you can you know say oh he glanced over at right. him and he saw the, the you know the angst look, and the yeah. conflict and yeah yeah the exchange yeah, of knowing look or they yeah exactly yeah th- there should have been something because this is huge for tau you know this is who he's been fighting th- this caste system 
and then Jabari's back and there's all of this pent up stuff. It it should have been described. So I think that Jabari can kind of be likened to Jabari Parker, where he showed a lot of promise okay. in high school, college, and even his rookie season in the NBA. And then he got injured and kind of went out with a whimper. I, I don't even really know what, where he's at now. That's fair. That's fair. Jabari Parker is a basketball player, for those of you who don't know. But um, yeah, Ryan, that that is a fair comparison. I like it. Mm-hmm. Good crossover. Okay, so yeah, I, I hope that Jabari goes somewhere. He's still in the story. He's been burned and injured really bad to the point where in our in our epilogue, I think uh, Tesora is like, oh man, she, this dude is not in good shape. But I think he will still have a part to play. So hopefully his arc is not concluded. Um, let's talk about Jayad. He is our classical mentor figure after Aaron dies. You know, another good mentor figure. But I think Jayad is a really good example of maybe what I was hoping Tao would get to eventually, where he's a lesser, literally a cross cast, but uh, he rises pretty much as high as possible. He has this much larger vision. He gives some pretty good speeches and inspiration. Tao listens to zero of it. And I hated how Jayad dies. He dies in this random point of view from one of the enraged Hedene, who I was like really kind of mixed on the reason why we're doing this point of view anyway did this bug you so i really like the i really like the uh changes in point of views when we went to kellen uh, as well as when we went to uh but you're talking about the the that random enraged uh yeah i i enjoyed it one because it it gave you a little bit more insight to the hedenai culture and it allowed you to kind of just jump around a little bit i i i really liked it i thought um, that the multiple points of view used sparingly worked for this book it's not something you see very often. Usually it's either multiple points of view or one point of view. You got to stick with one of the other. I, I thought it was a little strange. Honestly, I don't think I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Once I, again, I am the I am the oddball. I think it's good that uh, there's somebody with some dissenting opinion. So we're not just like, I liked it. I liked it. Um, but I thought that chapter was was cool. And we know that Jayad, he's, he's a legendary warrior. So it's not going to be just anything that takes him down. It was, it was pretty cool seeing the fact that now the Hedeni have gotten access to the magics that yeah, yeah. gave, I, I forget what the normal culture, what, what's their name? The, the uh, people. Omehi? The Omehi, yeah. That gave the Omehi the edge. And then right. I thought there was going to be some crazy showdown where Tao's like, you killed my mentor. And then he just goes crazy and kills the the enraged uh Hedeni and then the Hedeni is just like just talking like you hear her thoughts how like much she thinks of herself and like uh-huh. how she's such a great warrior and then she sees Tao and then she runs I, I thought that was a little bit funny I'm um, sorry but that was totally unbelievable she's not even gonna fight this dude she's like I see the death in his eyes really this small lesser kid just because he's got two swords and he's really mad that you just killed this other guy too. I was not buying that. Is she? I mean, I think it's alluding to maybe something that she sees that he's not a human. He's a demon. And that's the same thing that Abbar thinks. Uduak? Maybe that, or yeah, Uduak. Maybe um, Kellen's trading in his humanity, but the way that he's training. Also Tau. 
um yeah <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot of names yeah for sure yeah listeners please forgive us i mean don't go crazy telling us which names you mispronounced and, and messed up on i guarantee uh we've all done it yeah i, I see what you're saying it was nice to see you know it was a good end for Jayad. um i thought it was just frustrating that we didn't see more of like the reaction through Tao's eyes because I wanted to see how upset Tao was that Jai had died. And we saw it a little bit when he was like, no, I got to get his body back. And we're like, oh no, we can't do that. But just to like see the desperation of him trying to get to Jai and not being able to, I would have liked to see that a little bit more rather than the other point of view. So what I'm saying is I'm landing on saying that I, maybe I was okay with the different points of view. I'll backtrack a little bit, but I didn't like the fact that Jai had died in the other point of view. Hmm. Okay. So you guys didn't care for Jayad any more than this then, it sounds I, like. I don't no, know. Uh, so, no burning so thoughts. So here's the thing with Jayad. He was always kind of an annoying character to, to me, to be honest. Like, I felt like he either needed to tell tell Tao what was up or just continue to keep him in the dark, and he kind of didn't either. And so... Well, he told him some yeah, stuff. Yeah, but he didn't tell him... He, he couldn't tell him about the... He wasn't going to tell him about the peace talks, man. That's his I don't know. He, he seemed kind of like a Dumbledore character to me, where, like, just, come on. Like, cough it up. Let's let's get the ball going right, a little bit, yeah. you know. What happened, Dumbledore? What's that? Well, with just he never was fully honest with Harry, and it caused a lot of issues. Well, yeah. When Dumbledore dies, you see Harry how upset he is. Like you see directly the the conflict, the angst there, the 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 despair. But you don't really get to see that because it was yeah. But this this random enraged Hedeni. But him. I was kind of okay with that again because. Jaya kind of annoyed me throughout the entire book, and I wish he would have been a little. They die. <laughs> no, but like, where, where, like, he could have done more for Tao, and he could have done more for the the country, and we got hints and everything of what he was doing, but we never really got a really good insight into it. What do you think of the whole peace thing in general? I felt like it kind of came out of nowhere, like it was hinted at that they were losing. And Jaya had told Tao, like, hey, we want to, like, maybe peace is a good idea. And then Tao's just, like, randomly following them. And all of a sudden, we've got this full-on agreement in place. That, that's what I mean, where I feel like we either needed to get more behind the scenes of that or a little bit more of an explanation to it. Instead, I think it was just kind of relegated to a plot device. He's a little info dumpy, right? Yeah. I didn't feel that way. Ryan loved uh, but... everything about it. <laughs> That's not true. I've I've had accurate I've had criticisms of this book, all right? But I I didn't think it was that info dumpy and I don't know. It it, it sets the stage that I mean it shows the queen is trying to she's act, actively trying to to seek peace. Yeah. So I mean even even though Jayed is they're not like his only plans. I feel like he's also trying to, he's, he's pushing for peace as well. And that kind of shows that Jayad's got some things going on that we don't know about. I don't know. You guys just want Jayad to reveal all of his plans to this. You said it yourself. Tao seems a little bit crazy to his peers. So I don't think that even, even though Jayad may seem, see this hope in Tao that he can become better. I don't know that he's willing to trust him with everything until the situation kind of pushes him to that. Yeah, no, I don't think he should have told him his plans. I think he tried to tell him some stuff and Tao was clearly not having it. So I think it makes sense enough to not tell him more stuff. But I think just the peace talks 
in general, I wanted to see a little bit more. But at the same time, now that I think about it, you know, it was a good setup for the uh, for the betrayal from Odili by the end. So maybe I was okay with it. And it set up, like you say, the queen. And it set up some more of the uh, Hedeni characters, including the son of the warlord that I don't remember his name, but it was short. It had four letters and this dude was supposed to marry the queen and be the way that the peace happened. Maybe I was okay with it now that you actually think about it. Good points, Ryan. That's what I'm here for. Good points. <laughs> Let's talk about some of Tao's guys. Hadith, who is my single favorite character, and Udwak, who is also another popular one, as well as any other random member of the scale. Maybe that's one criticism we have other than these two dudes. Everyone else was kind of just can- cannon fodder. Some of them were killed. A lot of them were killed by the end in the dragon fire. But these two were really good. I mean, obviously, it's hard to characterize every one of these tertiary characters. You can't spend all of that time. But uh, these two especially, I really liked both. Yeah, I feel like the characters were done well enough to not have it be distracting to me. You know, I feel like they were sometimes a little bit one dimensional, but they were still entertaining enough to read and added to the story. They were a little one dimensional. Like you have the dude with a cough and the dude that worships Tao and the twins. And probably some others that I'm forgetting. The plan. But like you, with the the, well, the dude with the plan is Hadith. There was, he had a little uh, bit more to him of, than just that. He was always the guy with the plan. Well, yeah, but he was smart and visionary and strategic. And I really liked Hadith. I, I felt like Hadith was the most. He was the guy with the plan. <laughs> uh huh. I, I liked him, man. I, I wanted more yeah, from him. Yeah. I wanted more. From exactly. Hadith. You wanted a little bit more from him. Like he he was yeah. done well enough to like make you know that he was like a. Uh, yeah good character there was literally one part where t- where hadith was like man tell i'm with you a little bit here because i understand and Tao's like oh yeah i think i i think i can trust him a little bit because i'm i bet he's one of those cross casts and you know he's probably got some tragic backstory it's like well, okay well let's hear the backstory let's know a little bit of more but more about him yeah i think that um i liked uduak a lot even though i didn't really i have like nothing in common with him He's just like some huge giant who just bashes people apart with his strength. Yes, he's somehow really lovable, right? Mm-hmm. He almost yeah, dies I go back- in the Queen's Melee. That was a little concerning. Yeah, it, it just brings me back to my original point. Like, I, I don't think there was anything exceptional about the way the characters were written. It was just I liked everything put together in one package for some reason. I thought that was really good. All right, my second favorite character after Hadith was Kellen Okar. I thought he had a solid backstory, thought he's got a lot of good potential. He's willing to work with Tao. He's still kind of a jerk at times when he's forced into fighting him, and he gets really mad because Tao is beating him. But I thought he was like a fairly believable guy that based off the situation he was being placed in. I thought he was really level-headed. Uh, well, some a little bit level-headed. And he's basically like the Tao version of the nobles where he's put in a bad situation. He's working really hard. For three years, he's an amazing fighter, and I'm excited to see where Kellen goes. And I'm really glad Tao didn't kill him. I would have been so mad if he did. Yeah, he's he's a he's a good character, and I think it was pretty obvious to everybody that he was good from the beginning when he tried to save Tao's father. Right, and so I mean, it was a little bit frustrating to read Tao just like over and over. You're like getting frustrated with him not seeing the good in Kellen. But like I said earlier, it you can't necessarily approach it from a logical standpoint 
you just have to know that Tao's illogical and pursuing vengeance and it's it takes a whole lot for him to finally see that hey maybe Kellen Obvar isn't this horrible person like I thought he is Josh any take on Kellen so I I thought he needed a little bit more of a redemption arc and I know you had you had some good points on why he was never really that bad but I think that he still represented a lot of the system of oppression that was established in the book like I know that he was still kind of you know under the thumb of his uncle if I'm getting those details right and he was just uh-huh. doing the best he could but he's still like I feel like well he was probably more a little under Odili who was his patron okay but- yeah, 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 yeah. So, but I feel like he still needed a little bit more of, of like, an understanding of what Kellen had to go through and what the lower castes have to go through, in order for him to be a really likable character to me. I mean, he kind of is a victim of the oppression. Like his family has literally been ostracized from society because of the actions of his father, and he's trying, he's trying his hardest to make things better for his family he has like so much on his shoulders he's not gonna stick his neck out more than he has to for some lesser i mean i guess i i guess i mean obviously he does have more progress to make but i don't think i i don't think he has much to redeem well he he still has this he's still in a sense complicit with this casual cruelty and and so he still needs a to i think have that part of him redeemed okay all right on that note of a little criticism there i think we're a wrap for characters and plot i mean there's more we could talk about but um we, we probably shouldn't go all night here but we like to end with a segment we call the worst of the best so there's a lot of great things about the book yeah there's some things we can nitpick we've done that for the past hour here but let's give everyone a chance to talk about one moment that they really liked, except for like eh, the one little issue with it. So if you're listening to the podcast, Kate uh, Kate Redding and Michael Kramer are going to read in the segment now. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess, the stain on the satin, and the terror before the triumph the unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. All right, Josh, Ryan, who wants to start? I I got it. I got mine. This isn't exactly one moment, but like I mentioned earlier, for the last half of the book or more, I was basically just staying up because I had to finish it. I was at the edge of my seat, couldn't really sleep, just thinking about this story. And I... I loved the action that just never never really gave in, didn't let me put the book down. But that being said, and we've talked about this on our Discord, and I totally thought about this when I was reading the book, where Kellen and Tao and all of these people are going through this big combat, and everybody's just exhausted at the end of it because they both they, they gave their all in this melee and and then all of a sudden the Hedeni are attacking and then they just go and they, they're able to fight just like they didn't just fight for however yeah, long. Yeah, all of the injuries they previously accumulated yeah, are it, healed. Yeah. yeah. 
words. They're like, oh, okay, everything's fine. Now we're going to battle. Yeah. Maybe that shows in how they're they're kind of losing so badly. But I, I guess maybe if if that was the reason why they were losing, then it should have it should have been displayed a little bit more prominently for me. For sure, these guys are able to do quite a lot with serious injuries, and it never really seems to be an issue until the plot says, "Ah, yeah, they're really injured, so maybe they should stop now." Yeah, that's a good point, Josh. Yours. So I think that all the little battles and skirmishes were the worst of the best for me. Because on one hand, they were all really well done. But on another hand, they all kind of blend together looking back on it. That's fair. You know, and I feel like they could have been a little bit more consequential. But like a lot of times they were just used to demonstrate a new skill that Tao had developed and kind of show that off and then have people react to that. Yeah, I think the whole kind of training montage thing, it did blend together a little bit like you're saying. Uh, fair criticism. Okay, mine's going to be mine's going to be the end as well uh, for a different reason than mine. So I really liked the end. I thought a lot of bold decisions were made killing Zuri, kind of going forward with this whole conflict with the Denny. Great. Um, overall, I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens. The thing that just bugged me, and I kind of touched on this when we talked about Jabari, was again, the same thing with Kellen, was Tao is now all of a sudden fighting alongside these guys, alongside the nobles that he's been fighting against the whole time. He's finally, like his eyes are finally open to actually, we are on the same side and we're fighting against the Hadeni. But it didn't really seem like he ever confronted that fact. Like there was never a moment where he was like, he went to kill Kellen. He's like, wait a second, Kellen's, you know, on my side now. Or like, or they had a nod and they hadn't reached some understanding or something like that. It's just like all of a sudden they understood that they were that they would be fighting a different enemy now, like the game had changed. But that just seems like it'd be so consequential for Tao that he couldn't just do that. Like he's he's got to there needed to be something there for me. It just wasn't quite there. So that was just kind of jarring. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. I think that that's a general theme is that we wanted a little bit more introspection from Tao in this book. And we didn't get it. Anyway, we're looking forward to Fires of Vengeance. We'll see. Uh, it sounds like Ryan at least has promised to get it read before Rhythm of War. It'd be nice if we could get out a review really quickly and ride the wave, but we'll see what we can do. Thanks for listening to Phantology. If you want to catch more episodes, you can find those at www.phantologybooks.com and support us at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. So Josh and Ryan, thanks for being on. We'll see you guys later. It's good to be back. Thanks. Thanks.